Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor with Dr. Douglas Peak. I'm Jesse, your host, and today we will be digging into the final chapters on the life of Joseph. It's really amazing to me how these stories from 4,000 years ago are making <laughs> such an impact on us today. They're still true today. They still have things to tell us. And today we're going to try and connect the dots from these ancient stories to what we are going through today. So let's welcome Pastor Doug and see what the Salty Pastor has to share with us today. <laughs> well, it's good to be here. I'm excited about doing the Salty Pastor. And the reason I'm salty is because Jesus said in uh, Matthew chapter 5, we are the salt of the earth. And if the salt loses its flavor, uh, it, it's not good for anything but to be thrown out on the dung heap. And I don't want to be thrown on the dung heap, so I'm going to be salty. I don't think anybody wants you thrown out, <laughs> Pastor Doug. Actually, we've gotten a lot of positivity about how salty you've been. Oh, uh, good. Awesome. I, I want to read a couple comments from our YouTube channel, people mm -hmm. leaving comments on, on some uh, episodes. Monique Kuhn says, watch this with my daughter, and she said, this has saved my heart from despair. His timing is always perfect, but you guys really made it click. Thank you. So that wow, was that's really awesome. powerful. That is powerful. Um, April says, awesome lesson, learning so much. Um, she also says the historical or the history and biblical principles remind me that there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> Ecclesiastics, um, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes says the same. Um, <laughs> yep, really absolutely. enjoying listening at work. It helps me calm down and not let the world overwhelm me. Oh, good. Um, lots of likes and praise emojis. Jen Frisky really loves the emojis, so we're excited about that. Um, she loves, back in episode 11, you used the phrase spiritually constipated. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> she really loved that. Another great podcast episode. So uh, a lot of people have really been loving this and good, appreciating good. how salty you've been. So let's. Our, our, on Tuesday, we explored some of the biblical themes from mm -hmm. these final chapters about Joseph. I, I want to move on, and I'm curious how these themes affect what we are going through today in American society. How does a biblical worldview differ from a secular worldview, and why is it important to consider these things? Well, I think they have a lot of uh, influence, and uh, even though you may just be a person that says, hey, I'm just trying to navigate this COVID thing, I'm trying to figure out uh, how to remove uncertainty, I just want to you know, make sure my family's okay, take care of my kids, see if I have a job, you know, these types of things. These major themes from 4,000 years ago have a huge influence on your life today because what's happening is our society is moving and has moved away from a biblical worldview to a secular worldview. And in a biblical worldview, we see in this ancient story is that Moses is recording the oral history of the Israel nation as they're marching out of Egypt. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to say, look, 400 years ago, how we got here, you know, is not all our fault and it's not all God's fault. It's something much more complicated than that. And so history for Israel was extremely important. Well, and I think it's kind of goes back to what we've talked about previously, where it's having the right frame to be focusing right. on. And they were going based on woe is me. This is all God's fault. Why are we so this is worst life so rough for us which it was but they yeah. thought that they were blameless in getting to this point point. and when you get that way you you're stuck you know you've fallen into what i call a spiritual victimhood complex you know and you don't realize you're in this dynamic faith relationship with god 
And so uh, the, our history as a nation is critically important. And the reason why you see what's happening, all of this division, all of this stuff flowing around right now is because a generation since the 60s and then it really became prominent in the 80s and the 90s of people have been raised without knowing any actual history of where America came from. Right. So that's a problem. The other big theme is this, is the issue of God's sovereignty and our free will. You know, uh, if, if you're an electrician and you're working 50 hours, 60 hours a week and you're making good money and you're married and trying to raise your kids, you may not sit around and think about the, the tension between God's sovereignty and your free will. But I can tell you this, even though you're not thinking about it, you're living it every day. Every decision you make, whether you do what's right or whether you do what's wrong, whether you act lovingly towards people or you act selfishly and narcissistic towards people is influenced by this principle right here and there. The other one is postmodernism and uh, the philosophically postmodernism is this kind of belief in our culture today, which is a result of secularism, is that there's actually no absolute truth. Truth is uh, your truth. It's how you perceive it. Right. And the difficulty with that is it doesn't matter what the facts are in any given situation and there's no consideration of facts that might dispute your narrative so everybody is a defense lawyer now you see and that is is we only come in share our side of the case to get the result that we want and I'm not trying to knock defense lawyers and the need for them but what I am saying is what happens when every single person has been convinced they're a defense lawyer you see, th there's no, then there's no arbitrary judge. There's no jury that's supposed to be objective to determine whether the, the defense lawyer's case is solid. Because defense lawyers can say all kinds of things, right? right. And the prosecutor has a case. There's no prosecutorial case anymore in our secular society because of postmodernism. And finally, this all comes from Gnosticism which is a philosophy that's ancient. It was an ancient Hellenistic or Greek philosophy. And then it became really prominent uh, about 25 to 30 years after the birth of the church, which was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, those epistles written by the Apostle John, were written specifically to refute the influence of Gnosticism. James, the half-brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James in the Bible, he addresses the whole issue uh, of early Gnosticism and how it was influencing uh, Christian belief. So you have all of these things. And Gnosticism, in a nutshell, for those of you who would like to come up to speed, is it's, it talks about, well, how do you know what is true or real? And in Christianity, Jesus taught, well, the way you know something is real is you have a... A kind of a matrix, you see. First is you have the revelation of God. Right. You know, God says it, so he's objective and outside of you. Then what you do is you have the Holy Spirit within you, working, convicting, confirming, those types of things. Then you can discover, it's a, he says, if you are my disciple and my truth is in you and you are in my truth, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So there's this relational component of faith. 
So we're in relationship with God. So it's not just what God revealed objectively, cold, you know, laws of universe stuff, but there's that revelation. Then there's my relationship with God. So it's relational in nature. It's also the spirit of God within me, molding me and shaping me. And then finally, it has to do with wisdom. And that is, do I see what God has revealed, what I am in relationship with God and faith over, what the Holy Spirit is prompting me to do? And in my experience, when I do what God says, or I walk in faith with God, I see the fruit of that. And that becomes wisdom because I experience the truth of God's word in my life. So if you are an electrician and you're raising your kids, you can raise your kids the way God says, or you can raise it the way the world says. And what's interesting is people who choose God's way say, you know, I I don't know which is true, so I'm going to trust God. I'm going to do it this way. And their kids turn out great. So then they go, wow, I wouldn't do it any other way. Right. You know, so these big themes have a real impact on everyday life. And we had a episode very specifically on Gnosticism very mm-hmm. early in the podcast. So if you want to learn more about postmodernism and Gnosticism, you can go back to those episodes and do a little bit of a deeper dive. But the these principles or ideas like the history of Israel, our mm-hmm. history, you know, the paradox of God's sovereignty and our free will they're very abstract to me. I mean, how do such abstract concepts really impact our daily lives? I think of the guy like this electrician you're talking about, these blue collar workers who just want to work, enjoy the work, spend time with their family. Why should they care? <laughs> well, I, I think one thing here is, is really, really important is in your, our culture today, there's this thing out there right now where uh, my son said it a little bit as a joke. I would ask him to do something, and he'd say, okay, boomer, you know. And I, I try to tell him, well, son, actually, I'm not a boomer. I think I'm a Gen Xer. But, uh, but he but was just saying. over the age of 20 is a boomer these days. So. Yeah, and the, the whole notion, and this isn't a new thing. I mean, when I was growing up, it was like, oh, your parents are so archaic. They don't know what's up you know they 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 don't know good music when they hear it and so forth and i mean every generation goes through that it appears but today in a secular society it's extremely pronounced you know and it's pronounced to the point where anything that even smacks of wisdom or the study of history is discounted whereas in you know israel gave us this concept in the old testament it talks about the elders at the gate what would happen is these older men, right, would be invited to sit at the gate uh, where, uh, where people would come in to conduct business and walk out. And you could walk up to these guys and just say, sir, I have a question about this girl I really like, but her dad doesn't like me, blah, 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 blah. What should I do? So they would dispense wisdom. They would also create partnerships in business between people to make sure they were like the contractual overseers. Yeah, they would network, but they'd also make sure that the contracts were fair and just so that, you know, they were an objective group of people that kind of just helped. They were the oil that just made it thrive in so many ways. I, I just don't have time to go into the cultural implications of it. But when we get rid of that, 
it, it just destroys everything. And G.K. Chesterton, in his uh, book Orthodoxy, he talks about the the problem with secular thinking is that uh, uh, these people buy a field and they go, oh, this field is worth a certain amount of money. And so they buy this field. They don't know, really know a lot about it. And they go in there and they see this building in there. Okay. And they go, well, I don't want that building there. So let's tear it down. So they tear down the building. And what they don't realize is the building they turned down, tore down was the well house that irrigated the entire property that gave it its value. And once you got, you tore that down, it has zero value now because it has no, no water irrigating it at all. So and he says, that's what's happening in our world today is people are just like saying, I don't like our institutions. I don't like this. They're corrupt. They're bad. Uh, so we just need to burn it all down. You know, we're going to burn everything down. And, and G.K. Chesterton's point is that this is idiotic thinking because when you burn down these institutions that have taken centuries to build and they're built upon a biblical worldview, you tear all that down. What are you going to get? Well, there may not be live zombies walking around eating people, but you're going to end up with the exact same dystopian future for America where people, they may still be alive, but they act like zombies devouring one another to death. Well, and I think it's interesting too, because it's like now that the internet has created all these forums Mm -hmm. that can be filled with some knowledge, you know, I've watched my fair share of YouTube videos on how to do something and it's really helpful to get that wisdom but literally anyone can post anything and so very ignorant people or people who just want to burn down these institutions can start writing things and if the right person reads that it then turns into well let's tear it all down and so it's like it's no longer these elders at the gate guarding the city with this knowledge and wisdom it's everyone's out screaming at the top of their lungs and Mm -hmm. you just are trying to find out which one feels right for you and Mm -hmm. what your truth is so i think that's an interesting parallel as well it's like it was almost like these elders were guarding the integrity of the city with their knowledge and their wisdom and now with the internet and our culture these days it's just like the gates are wide open everyone's running rampant the inmates are screaming at the top of their lungs and no one knows what's truth anymore it's just that's the key no one knows what's true or what to believe anymore when you look at uh, surveys of the American people you know, when they chart their trust or believability in any type of institution, uh, it, it's extremely low. I think the the faith in Congress or trust of Congress or belief in Congress is like at 20 something percent. And below that is our national media. You know, now you can't say that that's a one sided thing. I mean, you know, people that are on the left side of the political spectrum don't trust the media and people who are on the right side of the media don't trust the media. The one thing the media has done is galvanize America uh, about a common mistrust of them. Right. <laughs> they're, the, they're the the one thing that everyone agrees on. Yeah, that's, that's it's nobody fake. Trusts yeah, them. everybody, nobody trusts them. And so what we do is we seek out then what is commonly known, economists call it as confirmation bias, and this is also an issue in scientific study and research, is confirmation bias. We just look for people that say what we want to hear. And, and I think so. that's why nobody knows really what truth is anymore because no one is taught to consider two sides, and that's because of, of postmodernism. When postmodernism says, well, there is no truth, there is no objective truth, your truth is just as important, and so what happens is in real principles— lose their meaning. Case in point, justice. 
you know, what is justice? I mean, in our society today, we throw this word around all the time. Uh, we talk about this is just or that's unjust. People use their, their protesting is, I'm protesting injustice. And they, are do, they put all these modifiers on it. Well, I believe in economic justice, social justice. I believe in racial justice. I believe in uh, educational justice. And so everybody is trying to put modifiers on it. And what's really interesting is this comes out of what I talked about before, critical race theory. And what we're seeing is that this critical social theory from the Frankfurt School and if you'd like to go back uh, and listen to that podcast where we talk about it, is that the Frankfurt School of Social Science was in Europe, okay, in Frankfurt prior uh, to World War II when the Nazis took over. When the Nazis took over, they left and they came to America and they found a home at Columbia University. And since the uh, late 30s, there, it was a social theory it's a Marxist worldview, and what it did is it has permeated every social science department of every university, except for a few private universities in America today. And this is the d common doctrine. It is unified across the board. This is why when you send your kids off to college, or let's say your kids weren't doing well in, in just a regular school. They go to high school and they just start coming up with all these really weird things. And some of them come home from their first year of college and say, well, I don't believe in God anymore. And you guys don't ever believe in justice. And you're like, wait, I've, I've been a Christian most of my life and my church fights for justice all the time. What do you mean? Well, you're not this and you're not doing that and you're not doing this. And you're like, well, you're, so you're saying that if I don't act unjustly towards somebody, then that means I don't support social justice? That doesn't make sense to me. Well, the reason it makes sense to them and not to you is because of this framework that they've adopted. And it comes from the uh, critical social theory, and that has morphed in today to what they call critical race theory. And so what that means is that every person is not known as an individual they're known as a part of a group and then based on those group markers you're put in a hierarchy so it's a very hierarchical system and it basically reduces all interactions between people uh, as power plays so you're constantly fighting in, comp in competition and it's it doesn't matter since there's no truth there's no ultimate justice what you do is you're fighting for your power. And of course, as you can see where this ends up is that it reduces people to certain little tribes that just fight with each other and it destroys. And the only person who sits back laughing all the way to the conclusion is Satan himself. Right. You know, he's destroying everything right before your eyes. So, uh, you know, there's no elders at the gate. There's no history being taught. There's no understanding of God's sovereignty. And all we have is a secular worldview. And the end result is an absolute mockery of justice. You know, it's really fascinating. But uh, uh, Solzhenitsyn and Dostoevsky were Russian authors and stuff. And one of them wrote a book called The Gulag Archipelago. This would be the best book for every kid in high school to read. Why is that? 
Well, the reason why is because what he does is he shows how the framework of justice in secularism creates some of the most horrific outcomes on human beings. And he was sent to a gulag and he records it. Now, why did the Russian communists send all those people to the gulag? Why did those Russians? What were they saying? What they were saying is that we are acting justly. So we are causing these people immense suffering. We are starving. They starved millions of Ukrainians to death. They killed millions of people all in the name of justice. And it was social justice to them. When you go and you read about the Cultural Revolution in China and you look at what Mao Zedong did and how he murdered 30 million of his own people, he didn't stand up there and go, I want to kill all these people because I can't stand them. He, he stood up and said, look, in the name of justice, in the name of equality, in the name of what's best for our society, we must do this. And people jumped on board with it. And it created some of the most horrific outcomes. So in the name of justice, they committed some of the most unjust unjust acts in human history of the brutality of what they did. How in the world do people get there? You know, and we haven't even talked about Nazi Germany yet. How do people get to that point where they allow that to happen? Well, that's when they leave from a biblical worldview to a secular worldview. And this is one of the proofs of God. It's critical proof. Most people can't argue with it. You can get on the internet and listen to all these atheists try to debunk it. But those, as you were saying, the crazy stuff that's on the YouTube, the funniest stuff on there is all these atheists trying to debunk these proofs (laughs) of God. And, And the stuff that they come up with is just the dumbest thing in the world there's this one guy i think he calls himself the cosmic skeptic he's a young guy he has a lot of people following him and he goes on and on and on and on and on about how you can't disprove a negative you know he's going on and on and on and on and on and then you talk to a professor and they go yeah he's an idiot because you can disprove negatives all the time you, you know there are no square circles okay i just, you know there are no married bachelors You see, it's, you know, categories are important in logic and you can disprove those things all the time, really quite easily. And so, but what this proof of God that I'm going to talk about is this. It's, it's one of the five major proofs that there is a God. And that is, if God does not exist, there are no objective morals or duties. If God does not exist, there are no moral objectives or objective morals or and duties. So it's easy to take in the name of justice and do very evil, unjust things if there is no objective morality. See, what is the, they call it the restraining principle. What restrains you, stops you? Well, it is a moral obligation that exists outside of yourself. In secularism and secular mindsets and what's being taught in our schools today uh, through uh, this critical social theory is that since postmodernism, there is no objective truth and Gnosticism, you know, because you just know and you feel that way and you've experienced it. It's your truth. Then you can do anything you want because there's no restraining principle. There's no restraining principle. 
there's nothing to hold you accountable yeah. to those mm-hmm. morals. And I have no moral duty to anybody else. You know, and that's really a very important thing to understand is that if you're an electrician and you just want to have a good time and feed your family, well, you'll have no security. You'll have no peace. You'll have no economy in which to ply your trade if secularism is allowed to run its course. And so it just reduces human beings to the most inhuman parts of us, whereas a biblical worldview elevates us to the most human and spiritual parts of us. It brings out the best in us. Nobody's perfect. There's no perfect system. But what it does do is it inspires us and it calls us to a higher duty to our fellow man. And what you see happening in our society right now is a dissolution of that call to a higher duty to your modern man. It's all about anger and it's all about, I'm going to get what I want. And here's the way it comes out that I think really interesting. And it doesn't matter if it's in a social movement or it's in uh, any kind type of these movements is that what, there's this demand of saying, I must be heard. And the way I interpret what they're saying is, well, you said what you want to say over and over and over again. Right. That's not what you're saying. When you say, I must be heard, what you're saying is you will do what I want or else. So it's extortion. And it's, a, it's about power. It's about abuse. And those things are all unjust. God has a very specific standard of justice. Do unto your neighbor as you would do unto yourself. And that that really changes the framework. And so I think what's going to happen in the church today and how we're going to deal with this is going to really revolve around whether or not we understand what a biblical worldview is and how we draw a distinction between modern-day Gnosticism, modern-day postmodernism, and all of these types of things, and how we, in maintaining our commitment to a biblical worldview, are maintaining a commitment to true justice for all. So what, uh, what takeaways should we have as we're wrapping up? What, are you, uh, what do you want us to leave with today? Well, I think, I think that what we ought to do is we ought to seek justice. You know, Micah 6, 8, you know, what does the Lord require of you? But to uh, love mercy, to do justice, and this is a key phrase, walk humbly with your God. You see, that walk humbly with your God is, is that I'm going to let God define justice. I'm going to let God define love. Take yourself out of it. And I'm gonna t- yes, I will submit. I will humbly submit to God. And what he says this is, and then I will go according to that path. And the second takeaway is this, is that the elders at the gate would say over and over and over again that the best way to influence your world is to walk in redemption, a redeemed relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Discover what real repentance is. And I think, this is a side note, we'll, we'll get into this later on, but I'm going to throw a teaser out today. The reason why young people are struggling today is because adults have coddled children so much that children are incapable of understanding what real repentance is and walking the path of repentance. They don't ever have to. They've never had to. And because of, because the parents in many ways, especially these, these kids that are out there doing these horrific things have, have never 
uh, had to wrestle and struggle through their own failures. And in, there's theories out there they call this helicopter parenting. And what it does is it psychologically stunts the growth of that individual. On a spiritual level, what it does is it inoculates them from the saving power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Mm. And so what happens is repentance is the key to how we discover every good thing that God has for our lives. Repentance is the key to embracing it and walking and living in it. Repentance is the door that unlocks the blessing of God in your life as you walk humbly with him. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing all those with us. Um, Make sure you guys join us on Sunday. Uh, All of the things we've been talking about um, are preparatory materials, basically, for the Sunday sermon, where we'll finish up these last chapters with um, Joseph. Uh, Then next week, we're starting our new series called Mm -hmm. Essential and why you are essential and God thinks you're essential. Um, And make sure you leave a review if you're on Apple Leave a review and a five-star <laughs> review. If you're joining us on an Android device, um, we're glad you're here with us, but they don't have any reviewing yeah. systems. Um, if you're on YouTube, leave a like and a comment. We love having those comments of how the salty pastor is affecting you. Or if you have questions or things that you'd like us to talk about, suggestions, we're always open to those as well. So thank you guys love so much to hear for it. joining us. And we will see you on Sunday at church. All right. God bless you. <laughs>